0: Hey, this is Pastor Ben with Clare Church. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our message this week was from Mark chapter 5, where Jesus heals a woman who had been sick for 12 years and raises a 12-year-old girl back from the dead. So I hope this message is encouraging to you and helps you to be motivated in your life. Good morning, we are in Mark chapter 5 today, Mark chapter 5, and I found it interesting that once again the story starts with them in a boat crossing over to the other side. seems like every single one of these starts out with, and then they got in the boat and they went to the other side. And guess who's waiting for them when they get off the boat? A huge crowd. So it seems like no matter where he goes, Jesus kind of has a hard time figuring out how to get away. In fact, remember that time he walked on the water? It's almost like he was doing a distraction. You guys get in the boat and go that way. I'm going to go up the mountain and pray. <laughs> right? It's trying to get people to to follow. But anyway, so he's going over to the other side, and there's a big crowd following him. And it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, the crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake, and then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jesus went with him. Now, I learned a little bit about the synagogue and the synagogue leader. Synagogue was a building that was built for the Jewish civic purposes including their religious services and religious activities, but it also would have been a civic center for them to handle their community and needs and issues and things like that. Now, Rod on Friday I mistakenly told you that maybe Jairus was a Jew wasn't a Jew or something like that. I think he probably was. That what I found out about a synagogue leader was that he was probably a rabbi or a teacher, some kind of leader in the Jewish community. And so remember, Jesus has been going to the synagogues to teach people, right? So it's very true that Jairus and Jesus had met before, that they knew who they were, that as two rabbis they had probably talked and had discussions and knew each other. And what, Jesus knew him, and he knew Jesus, and what was going on. And something in Jairus' mind flipped when his daughter got sick and was about to die. And something in his mind said, I think Jesus can do something about this. In fact, I know Jesus can do something about this. And that motivated Jairus to take action and go to Jesus and ask for help. Okay? So the, our word for the day is motivator. Motivator. What is your motivator? What is your motivation? Now, this is the Jedi Jesus series, so I'm making a connection to Star Wars here. It reminded me this of this clip in the original uh, Star Wars movie when Luke first meets C-3PO and R2-D2. All right? So... The clip should be ready to play. Speak sure. bocce. Of course I can, sir. It's like a second language to me. I'm yeah, a All right, shut up. I'll take this <laughs> Shut up, sir. Luke! Take these two over to the garage, will you? I want them cleaned up for dinner. But I was going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on. Get to it. All right, come on. And the red one. Come on. Well, come on, Red. Let's go. Uncle Owen? Yeah? This R2 unit has a bad motivator. Look. Hey, what are you trying to push on us? Excuse me, sir, but for that R2 unit is in prime condition, a real bargain. Uncle Owen? Yeah? What about that one? What about that blue one? We'll take that one. I am the blue I'm quite sure you'll be very pleased with that one, sir. He really is in first class condition. I've worked with him before. Here he comes. Okay, let's go. So did you catch it? This one had a bad motivator. They needed to get get a different one in place. And so I don't know that I can talk much about what motivates you, but I can say that sometimes we all get stuck. That Jairus got to the point in the situation with his daughter that he was stuck. And that motivated him to go and do something. And then this woman... Uh, so Jairus and Jesus and the crowd, are all following, they're going to Jairus' house, and this woman had found herself stuck. It says, a large crowd followed and pressed in around Jesus, and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew Worse, she was stuck in her suffering, that she had spent all she had, she had talked to every doctor she could, and remember, this is 2,000 years ago, so this is not modern medicine, right? Right? This isn't Mayo Clinic and, and people that have all kinds of degrees and have studied all kinds of science. This would have been people who believed that there was some kind of supernatural cause for any kind of illness and sickness that they faced, and she had gone to everybody for some kind of answer, some kind of do something please for 12 years, and she had gotten stuck in her suffering. In fact, put yourself in her shoes and realize how stuck she was that because of her sickness and her illness, she would have been considered ceremonially or ritually unclean. What that means is, is that she couldn't touch anyone, and nobody could touch her. For 12 years, she had been considered unclean. So, think about that for a second. No hugs, no kisses, no Eskimos, No butterfly kisses, no handshakes, no fist bumps, no signs of any kind of any touch because everyone around her, this whole crowd of people, her whole community saw her as unclean and she was stuck in that spot. Stuck there. And she says, you know what? I've heard about someone who can do something about this. And I'm going to step out and take a risk and reach out. And if I can just touch his clothes, I will be made clean. I will be healed. So think about this for a second. She had to not listen or pay attention to any of the voices in her head or the voices in her crowd of all the assumptions she could have made. And they're voices that we still hear and that we still face today. Because when you think about it, what what they said here, for 12 years and she had spent all of her money looking and searching for answers, doctor after doctor after doctor, right? And nothing. Instead of getting better, she had gotten worse. What kind of things cause us to have a bad motivator? What kinds of things cause us to have a bad motivator? What voices are we listening to that get us stuck? It's voices that say things like, it's never going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. Think about what this woman would have had to go through, of what people might have called or said about her. You're worthless, right? It's obvious God doesn't love you or care about you. You're evil. You're unclean. You're not welcome here. Don't touch me. Stay away. You're never going to get any better. Why even try? The same thing happens in our life when we listen to those kinds of voices. See, because I know everybody, like, everybody, I should be careful how I generalize, right? You know that's a bad thing. That's what gets us in trouble. We can't have real conversations. But a lot of people want to look at the church and call us all hypocrites. But the truth is, to some degree, we're all hypocrites. And there's always room for more in the church. Because all of us know who we are and who we want to be. We know who we are and what we want to become. And we're not there yet. Sometimes we feel like we're there. Sometimes we catch a glimpse of our full potential, of what God created us to be. But a lot of times, we live in a place where we're not there yet. But we're always hopeful, and we're always trying, and we're always seeking to get there. And along the way, somehow, the motivator quits working. And we get comfortable here. We get comfortable. Notice what it says. It says she was freed from her suffering. Sometimes we get comfortable with our suffering. Sometimes comfort is a bad motivator. You know, this is my pew. It's got my butt print in it. It's comfortable. It's my spot. It's where I go. At least once a week. Right? I'm comfortable there. You don't change anything on me. It's comfortable. Sometimes fear can be so overwhelming that it's a bad motivator. Usually fear is pretty motivating, right? Jairus was in fear for his daughter's life, and it motivated him to step out and take action, right? But sometimes fear gets overwhelming. You hear that voice that says, it's never gonna, you're never going to be able to overcome it. You're never going to be able to get around it. You're never going to be able to get through it. You might as well just give up and quit. You know, I wonder what this was like for Jairus. He shows up to Jesus. Hey, my daughter's about to die. Please come and do something. If you just put hands on her, she'll be healed. She'll be clean. Come on, come on, come on. And then they get stuck in traffic. I don't like getting stuck in traffic. Just ask my wife. (laughs) I'll say all kinds of things that I shouldn't say. (laughs) They get stuck in traffic with the crowd all pressing in around. And then this woman has to come up. And this unclean woman has to touch him. And he feels it, and he senses it, and the disciples are like, what's going on? What do you mean? And all kinds of people around here, any one of these thousands of people could have touched you. What do you mean somebody touched you? How could you ask that? And I just imagine Jairus is over there like, come on, Jesus, A daughter dying, come on. It reminded me of when Zeke was born. Shelly had to go in for an emergency C-section, and they come to, they came to me bringing the scrubs and the little slippers that you put over your shoes and the hat and the mask, and they're like, here, put this on, and we'll come get you when it's ready. Well, it only takes about five minutes to get that stuff on. Then what do you got to do? You just sit there and wait. You sit there and wait. Sit and wait. And I keep checking. It's been almost an hour now. (laughs) Did you forget? I even walked in the hallways, like, hey, I'm ready. Did you forget? And they're like, no, go back in there and wait. (laughs) We didn't forget. And if you've ever been at the hospital with someone, in that type of situation, where it's your loved one, you're just like, please, if there was anything I could do, let me do it. If there's any way I could take this pain away from my loved one, please, I would do it. Please, let me do something, right? This, this is Gyrus sitting there, like, come on, crowd, my daughter is dying, Look at what Jesus says. It's interesting what happens. So she touches the edge of his cloak. He feels the power go out. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples were like, what do you mean? Who touched me? Everybody could have. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Trembling with fear. Trembling with fear. Not just a little bit afraid, but trembling with fear. It reminds me a lot of last week when the disciples saw Jesus calm a storm. They were afraid of the storm and the boat might sink and they might die. But then after they saw Jesus do what he did, then they were even more afraid. It said they feared a great fear. They were terrified. And she's trembling with fear. She tells them everything that she had done. Why would she be so afraid? Because she's worried that maybe she might have made him unclean. She's worried that all the people she had to rub up against to get there, she might have made them unclean. She's worried about what all the other people were going to think. She was worried about what Jesus might do to her because she tried to be sneaky about it, sneaking up behind him. right? All these worries. Look at how Jesus responds. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Look at that. He says to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. This is the woman who for 12 years probably never heard that word. This is the woman who because of her sickness and her illness, everybody said, Stay away. We can't touch you. You're not able to be a part of our community. And Jesus gives her a new identity. So instead of calling her, you dirty woman, you broken person, you useless person, who can't do anything right, instead of calling her all those lists of names, he gives her a new name, and he says, daughter. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. And yet so many of us stay trapped and stuck when Jesus wants to set us free. So look at what happens next. Remember, Jairus is standing there like, come on, Jesus, let's keep this going. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and and they told him, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Listen to this. The translation I read a minute ago didn't say this. Verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. So here comes the negative Nancys. Quit bothering Jesus. She's already dead. It's not worth your time anymore. Ignoring what they said, Jesus continues on. What a lesson for us to learn in our life that we let all these things break our motivator and Jesus is teaching us To ignore those voices. The voices that say, well, you could never get better. It'll never work. It'll never get fixed. You'll never be right again. Never, never, never. No, no, no. All those voices, instead, Jesus ignores those voices. That woman ignored those voices. And in faith, continued on. A lot of times we think faith has to do with certainty. Like these are the list of beliefs, and you have to believe these certain truths and things. But really, what we see when Jesus turns and says, daughter, your faith has made you well, we see that faith is really about in the midst of uncertainty. Being willing to take a risk, a chance, a step, being willing to ignore those voices and listen to the voice of God. So they, he ignores those voices and they continue on. Don't be afraid, just believe. Just keep trusting. Just keep trusting. See, Jairus had already shown some faith. He had already come to Jesus. Jesus. And said, hey, if you could just put your hands on my daughter, she'll be made well. I know it. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in you. Even in the sh- battle of, the valley of the shadow of death, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. And Jesus says, look, don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. He believed that Jesus could do something about the situation. I I wonder, do we, do you believe that about Jesus? Do you believe that the situation you're in is not the end? (laughs) That there is something greater he has for you to become. And he can get you there. I think a lot of us, I know I've been there, where the motivator gets broken, you're listening to those other voices, and you just sit down and you just get stuck. Maybe it's, you don't want to admit that you need the help. We all get stuck in that spot, don't we? Denial. I don't need help, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Keep believing. Start believing. Start trusting in me. I promise I will take care of you. Anyway, so they continue on. He did not let anyone follow him. Jesus didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. Who is the brother of James? And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. That reminded me of my, one of my very first pastoral calls. When I first started seminary, I was just a part time pastor at a church at Lee Summit, associate pastor, and the senior pastor was out of town for some reason, vacation, something like that. So when they called the church, it was me that had to go. I'm 22 years old, and my first pastoral care visit is to a home where the children were gathered around their mother's bed. She was only like 43 years old, and hospice had been called in, and she had just passed from cancer. So anybody that's lost a loved one too young Knows this sense of the wailing and the weeping that's going on when Jesus arrives. When Jesus arrives at this place and all the commotion that's going on. With people crying and wailing loudly, and he went in and said to them, Why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And you remember. Jesus had ignored them earlier and he's living in a whole different reality than they are. And he says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laughed at him. They decided to ignore him, right? They laughed at him. After he put them all out, so he moves all the, gets all the commotion out quiets the place down, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha koum," which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, Talitha koum is an Aramaic phrase, so it would have been a spoken language that they were speaking that the girl would have understood, that everybody would have understood. The New Testament was written in Greek, and when they wrote this phrase, they wrote that phrase in Aramaic. And that's why we have it the way it is today. You're like, well, why didn't they just say, little girl, get up? You know, why did they have to put this phrase in? I'm not sure, but I think they were saying, this is a direct quote of Jesus that he said to Letha Goum, little girl, I say to you, get up, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around, She was 12 years old. So as long as this whole girl's life, up to that point, the woman had been sick and bleeding. So it's basically saying there was a whole lifetime that all this woman knew. It was not God's daughter, but it was unclean. And Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And to this little girl, grabs her by the hand and says, "Little girl, get up." You know, I wonder how he said it to her. Did he? So by the bedside, taking her hand and lean over and her here, little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. Have any of you had teenagers? (laughs) Do you ever wake them up by whispering? When I was a kid, you know what my dad did to wake me up in the morning. Came in with a spray water bottle and squirted water on my face until I got out of bed. Usually, what you do is you raise your voice, right? Little girl, get up! (laughs) And I wonder, I wonder if we don't need to hear the same kind of thing when we get stuck, when we're listening to the wrong voices maybe turning the volume up on the right voice, maybe we would hear it. That God is saying to you, church, get up! Wake up! Be alive! Wake up. Get up. We've been stuck. We've been stuck. We've listened to the wrong voices. Wake up. Be alive. We've got comfortable in the wrong places. Wake up. Get up. Be alive. We've looked for help in the wrong places from the wrong people. Get up. Wake up, church. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus, the one who can make a difference, the one who brings the death back to life. Remember when I told you what happens when we get stuck the hopes, the dreams, pieces of you die inside. And what is Jesus all about? About raising the dead to life. Sometimes I think we're asking Him for too small of things. We face these problems and we think, oh, come on, just, just, just fix this for me and then fix this and then fix that. And what he really wants to change is you and raise you to life. Wake up. Get up. And then he says, and get her something to eat. <laughs> And I wonder if they didn't get her crackers and grape juice. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we get stuck, we get too comfortable. Honestly a lot of times God we get so comfortable we don't want to change a thing. Just keep it the same would you please? And we get stuck. In fact sometimes God the comfort feels so good that we'd rather let our hopes and dreams die. But today Today we hear from your word about your healing power. Today we hear you calling to us, get up. And we see those hopes and dreams again. We see the life you have for us, your church. Wake us up. Help us to take that first step, that next step. Help us to ignore the voices that keep us stuck and listen to your voice that says, get up. God, when we think about what motivates you and why you would send your son Jesus Christ, we remember that scripture verse, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Your love motivated you, God, to first love us. So God, light that fire of your love within us again. That we would get unstuck that we would let your love flow because there are people everywhere who are stuck and need to know your love. They need to know your power. They need to know that they can be unstuck. They need to know that they can be freed from their suffering. They need to know that they can be healed, that they can be included, that they can be called son and daughter. Of God. That they can be a part of your family, the church. Wake us up, God. Get us unstuck. Give us a new motivator. A new life. May we live for you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Scripture says that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. When I think about what motivates me, it's that everywhere I look, I see God's love. In the faces of my kids, in my wife, in nature, everywhere I look, in the church, in you guys, You may hear all different kinds of voices that you need to ignore. But the one you need to hear is the one that says, You are my daughter. You are my son. Be freed from your suffering. Because God so loved me, I'm motivated. Are you?